Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, season two of Big Martech. Uh, Juan and I are so excited that you are back here with us. Uh, boy, wow, like a lot has happened here, like in the two or three months since we talked to you last. Um, among other things is we're going to take our own advice here and keep on learning, keep on experimenting. So we've got a new format uh, for Big Martech this season. Uh, instead of just like one big show, we're going to do a series of themes. And for each theme, we'll have three episodes, one where we can sort of set up the background for it, a second one where we'll dive into current uh, capabilities, uh, what's happening today, and then the third one that will look a little bit to the future. And Juan, uh, well, first of all, welcome back, my friend. It's so good to be here with you. Talk to us about the first theme we're going to kick this series off with. Yeah, no, thanks, Scott. It's uh, it's great to be back. Um, 2023, Big Martech Season 2. I'm excited. Uh, Scott and I have actually been prepping quite a bit and changing a lot of how we think about, how we talk about Martech in the industry. And so I'm super excited. We're getting into our first theme uh, as you mentioned, Scott, it's three episodes at a go. So our first season should be three, six, nine, and 12, four topics over 12 weeks. It's going to be a massive three months, um, but I'm really pumped for it because there's some big, massive shifts in the MarTech industry that are worth unpacking for our audience. And uh, I think the first one, which is really quite one of the most important ones, I think right now, is the shift away from third-party cookies. Uh, we continue to see in the news companies shifting away from third-party tracking. Um, Google's uh, Chrome uh, is deprecating cookies into the near future. Um, and we have a lot of shifts around privacy as well. So, so we thought, okay, why don't we unpack this for our audience to figure out not just um, what's happening, but how we see it mapping out into the future. And so we also want to touch on the conversions of both MarTech and AdTech in this shift away from third-party cookies, because there's an interesting um, move away from sort of traditional advertising platforms into embracing more sort of MarTech-focused platforms like customer data platforms and how you use first-party data. And so I'm really excited because we'll be looking at this landscape view across how the industry is radically changing as marketers use third-party cookies less and less. And so our first episode we'll be tracking today is the history of the cookie. So where did we come from? What's happened? Why are third-party cookies going away? And what's the impact on the industry today? Next week, when we dive into the uh, our second episode in the series, we'll be tracking what is going on with uh, all the different solutions and the variety of solutions that is coming after the third-party cookie. And then in our third episode, to cap off our first uh, theme, we'll be looking at how uh, the innovation and the risks are presenting themselves in the industry and where we think the um, third-party cookie situation will impact the industry over the next 10 years. And so it's a bit of past, it's a bit of present, and it's a little bit of the future as well. So how do you feel, Scott? Shall we dive in? It's like, uh, what is that? Uh, that um... Uh, Scrooge, the ghost of Christmas past, uh, Christmas present and Christmas future. It's the ghost of cookies, past, present and future. So yes, <laughs> let's dive in. Uh, yeah, you, you've actually done a fair amount of writing on this about the history of the cookie. How about we start there? 
Yeah, so I think it's interesting if we look at what cookies were back in the early days of the internet. I mean, you know, the internet, um, the history of the internet has moved so quickly and there's been so much rapid change, right? Like Moore's law on steroids over the past 25 years. But if we go back into the early days, you know, I, I talk about cookies in the way that perhaps a little bit more thematic and that, you know, cookies on the internet was originally a remembering machine. I mean, you used to use cookies to remember somebody on a website. So back in the day, um, you know, this was back in the early, early um, se season of the internet, um, a 23-year-old engineer, um, you know, he, he developed a, a solution for, I think it was for MSA. They were, an e they were trying to sell products online. This was back in like the, uh, 1994, so really early on in the piece in terms of the development on the internet. But this 23-year-old engineer, he worked at Netscape, he had a problem. When a customer was visiting a website, they wanted to buy a product, say they wanted to add that product to cart, that website would not remember them when they went through those variety of pages. So you went from page one to page two to page three. The way that um, website technology was built back then was that each page was its own system almost. It was its own static page and then there was no linkage of the remembering that user from page to page. So as you can see naturally with e-commerce, it's really actually hard because um, you need to be able to remember what a user has in cart when they make a payment. And it was a very practical consideration. So the cookie was developed and I think it actually came out of this idea of the fortune cookie. Um, you know, like there was a message within the website that kind of helped the internet to remember who you were. But it was a very practical technology. It was addressing literally a customer need at the time. Hey, how do we remember our users on a website as they're shopping and browsing? And then like almost immediately, like in the next two or three years post that, uh, cookies became this um, really interesting problem with privacy. Uh, the Financial Times had a really interesting um, article calling the cookie a smart bug that you don't even know that it's on your computer, but it's a little bit of code that's stored on your browser. Back then it was Net Netscape and Mosaic and all these sort of prototype um, browsers. But back in those days, I mean, users didn't even know that a cookie was stored on them. But the way it worked is, is that we store a cookie, on a cookie on a browser and it remembers you and your IP address. And as you go across the website, it will remember all those different interactions. But the Financial Times sort of called out the privacy concerns of that, of remembering who you are across the internet. And then almost uh, straight after that, FCC started talking about, and this is back in the early 90s, so 94 through to 97, 98, the, um, the FCC were immediately thinking about the privacy implications of this technology. Uh, back then, Netscape tried to develop standards for the cookie. They didn't really follow them themselves. And, it, and since then, it's always been a controversial technology. Wonderful in that it allows um, companies, websites to actually remember who users are and lock all these amazing experiences. But also, it's been mired in the controversy of privacy, consent, even from the early days. So even today, we have so much um, concern around privacy and third-party tracking. But this is not new stuff. This has been going on for about 25 years. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, yeah, you know, our, our discussion here is mostly around third party cookies. But the example you gave here with like e-commerce, like it's not just e-commerce, any sort of application you want to create through the web. And right now, boy, pretty much everyone in business, like, I mean, if you're using like uh, Google Suite, anything you're doing that's like these multi, uh, you know, requests to the server, multi-page experiences, you need some sort of way 
for the application to like know it's the same user making the same request again and again and again. And I think some of the things we'll talk about, particularly you know, in both current approaches and also future approaches, is that sort of first party engagement is still likely to be just incredibly valuable and essential to how the web works. Where we started to get ourselves into, yeah, this really weird uh, space was when like, okay, the application that you're dealing with isn't the only one that can, you know, send you one of these little fortune cookies, you know, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, oh, if that site happens to embed, you know, an advertising, you know, the server that's delivering that advertising from some completely other different company had the ability to like send you one of those cookies and listen to it and remember and that's what kind of got us into this web where, you know, it's, it's, it's not so much a concern for individuals who know the website they're working with. If I'm logged into Amazon and I'm engaging with Amazon, sure, Amazon knows who I am there. That, that, that makes a certain amount of sense. But it's that network that got created of like, oh, you might be on the website thinking you're dealing with company Acme. But company Acme has like things that are connected to like, you know, webs of like 50 other companies that might have tracking things going on. And, you know, if you're really nerdy, people have sometimes, you know, like there's software you can use to like view the web of all these different tracking things. And when you see it, it's hard to unsee it of just like how complicated all that gets. And so I think that really is that privacy motivation that from a consumer perspective, you know, like, hey, I don't know who any of these other companies are. That's really like what motivated, uh, you know, this change in attitude. Yeah. A question for you, Scott. I mean, you worked in this industry when um, third-party cookies and all these ad tech solutions were coming into market. I mean, what was the um, the temperature back in those days? I mean, was it um, a hype cycle? Was it just this gradual sort of change in terms of using those, say, those first-party cookies, turning them into third-party cookies, and then having them just creating these really complex ad tech networks? I mean, you were working on technology back in the day. What did that look like? Funny enough, one of the first products we built uh, was actually an ad uh, management system from a first party perspective. It was really interesting because if you go back to the early days of the web, actually this whole idea of like, you know, targeting, you know, from like third party data, doing things like, uh, you know, retargeting after people left your site, like none of that existed for a long time. And the initial engine of advertising on the web was through things that um, are maybe coming back in fashion here again, this idea of context, like, okay, well, the page that I am on, the content that I've gone to read or the application I've gone to engage with tells a lot contextually about like who I am and what I'm interested in. And so you could target advertising based on that content. But if you go back through the, you know, Google history uh, of trends, uh, right. Like once the third party cookie, once the light bulb went off and people were like, Oh, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter about the content that they're actually doing. That's just coincidental. What we want to understand is the audience and then we will track them wherever they go and deliver the ads to them. Like when that shift happened, it was almost like all the innovation that was happening around things like contextual advertising at the time kind of fell to the wayside. Um, as we just, yeah, over indexed you know, on what the potential was with the third-party cookie. One of the things that I find quite interesting about the third-party cookie is that it was almost like a in a primitive um, open protocol in a way, you know, for sending information on the internet. 
you know, even thinking about how the nature of the mechanisms of how it works. I mean, there's no central entity or company managing third-party cookies. It's literally a, a, was open source technology. It's it's a, a snippet of code that's stored on your browser and hundreds, thousands, millions, now billions of browsers have cookies stored on, on them as well. Um, and so it's kind of interesting that it's open source, obviously invented by a browser company. It's always been a very like browser centric technology. We can talk about Mage, which is the mobile um, app ID, which is a totally different concept much later in the piece. But yeah, it's, it's like this decentralized technology in the similar ways that you have like RSS or, um, you know, which is obviously a way of sending news information around the web and podcasts, but then also email, SMTP, HTTPS, like all there's all these like open protocols that we still use today. And I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Is Was third party cookies seen as like a sort of an open source revolution for doing targeted advertising? <laughs> or was there like a few key players that were really owning that technology and making it work? Yeah, you know, I think for most developers, it was almost just considered part of the protocol. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, okay, here's HTTP. Uh, and as part of the HTTP protocol, you have this option of, uh, yeah, having these pieces of information, you know, they'll get associated with the domain. You can set it, you can read it. And so, yeah, I, I guess I'd actually have to go digging into the old RFPs to see if it was officially part of the, you know, the protocol standard. But for all practical purposes, if it isn't, it was just assumed to be. And again, like, I mean, if you look at, 10, 15 years of history of, you know, the growth of the web and the internet and the advertising world around it. This, this worked for a very long time. Um, but it's like been over these past five years, you know, where a series of things have sort of, you know, come together in a perfect storm, you know, from a political perspective, from a technology perspective, from a consumer perspective that seemed to all push us out there. Um, like from a political perspective, what have been the things, I mean, I, I, I know here in the U.S. we have like the California uh, privacy thing, obviously in Europe, uh, GDPR. In your side of the world, there's been other versions of that as well too, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it has been a lot of change since, say, the GDPR was introduced, I think, back in 2018. I think the political change is a little bit more broader than third-party cookies. I think third-party cookies are sort of enveloped into that. Um, in Australia, we've had recently over the, just the past six months, we've had some really high profile hacks of companies, data exposures of uh, really sensitive customer data. I think um, even in the state I live here in Victoria, uh, the Victorian government had to reissue something like 7 million um, licenses because of major high profile data breaches um, from mostly enterprise consumer brands. And so, you know, we're going through a lot of reform. The Australian government just released a privacy reform bill, which really kind of looks very similar, smells very similar to the GDPR, um, the European um, privacy regulation. Um, but also, um, they've also introduced new um, fines, uh, which are perhaps the most severe fines that we're seeing right now in terms of privacy violations for brands. Um, so Australia is having its own, I would say, its own GDPR moment. Um, but, you know, if you look at even just <laughs> GDPR and, and how much it's changed, even how um, companies are dealing with data now, I mean, since its inception in 2018, there's been more than 900 fines for companies that have breached some form of data protection regulation. Moreover, Amazon has been fined more than 746 million euros. Google has been fined 90 million euros and WhatsApp has been fined 225 million euros. And that is right up until 2022. And so 
the big tech companies are constantly battling with GDPR attorneys on data privacy and what's being stored and used. And so I, I would also perhaps chuck in there the DOJ case that just came out against Google, which was um, you know looking at Google as an ad tech monopoly, very opaque, very anti anti competitive in terms of their stranglehold, I guess, across a lot of data that's been shared across both their display, but their programmatic and also their first party audiences across search and their various products as well. So I think about the political changes, it's it's kind of GDPR was that tinderbox. It really sort of set a whole new precedent for thinking about data privacy. And so I think there's a lot there that is still happening, but it's really, I think, um, in the whole grand scheme of things, I think it's one of the bigger catalysts of of privacy change, but also moving away from third-party cookies. But Scott, did you want to touch on the technology change? I mean, what are you seeing across the industry in terms of how the technology companies are changing what marketers can track and, and use from a data perspective? Yeah, well, I think Apple definitely was one of those companies that led the charge on this. Like uh, they were uh, one of the first to say with their web browser Safari uh, about eliminating uh, third-party cookies, which you know, at the time, uh, you know, because market share had sort of leaned more to Chrome anyway, it, it was an issue, but it wasn't as big of an issue as it could have been without getting into the head of, you know, the folks making the decisions at Google. I'm sure that influenced, you know, their decision as well to ultimately deprecate uh, third-party cookies out of Chrome. Someday, we keep pushing that back. Uh, <laughs> there's always tomorrow. Um, I feel like Orphan Annie has a song she could sing about, uh, you know, the deprecation of third-party cookies. Um, the cookie will die tomorrow. But I think probably really the big hit was, you know, so much of uh, this targeting was also being done through mobile advertising. And when Apple, you know, hit a massive, you know, ecosystem around the iPhone, uh, basically shut down the ability for people to do tracking through that. I mean, that didn't just impact like random advertising, like that impacted like the whole Facebook ecosystem. Um, you know, it had impact there for Google. I mean, you can see the repercussions that led all the way to things like Shopify, you know, that had so many merchants that were building their businesses on the backs of being able to leverage that targeting mechanism, you know, to do mobile advertising, uh, you know, to, uh, yeah, to their audiences. And, you know, when that went away, you know, I mean, there's now things Shopify's trying to figure out an alternative to that with, you know, their audiences. Well, we'll I'm sure we'll get into all that stuff in a future episode, but I think that was probably the single biggest technological change where people realized, okay, this is going away. It's going to have real repercussions. We need to rethink what comes next. Mm -hmm. And it's not only um, that Google that caused that change. I mean, you mentioned Apple, Apple's ITP 3.0, and also their uh, private relay, which is the um, iCloud solution that kind of works almost like Tor and that it masks your identity online. Um, you've also got Mozilla that um, have been very privacy positive in the past. So you've got like the browser market, um, you know, Safari, you've got Internet Explorer now, um, Edge, etc., And then Mozilla Firefox, the browser technologies have changed. But the real trigger, I think <laughs> what got everyone thinking, okay, what do we do now is the Chrome browser because of its centrality in the place of Google's programmatic and display ad tech network. I mean, you know, the smartest thing I think Google did across even beyond search and developing that product 
was introduce a new browser into the market. I mean, it's got the largest market share across all browsers now, and it's also got a huge, huge um, foothold in the um, ad tech space, particularly because of its um, management of third-party data as well. But it's not only political or technological change, it's also consumer change as well. Uh, there's one really good stat out of uh, Pew Research. Uh, they did a wonderful deep dive into the American uh, consumer sentiment around data and privacy. Um, and they're saying that 79% of American consumers are actively confused and concerned about um, the data that's being collected on them on the internet. And that is growing as well. I mean, I would say that the privacy shift, I think the beyond the political and the technological change, I think one of the biggest triggers is the uh, potential harm it can actually um, bring upon your brand if data is not treated with security and with privacy intact as well. And we're increasingly seeing that um, even in Australia, we're seeing um, more than 80, the same sort of numbers, 80% of consumers are concerned about the data that's being collected about them. And so across the broad, both in the US and Australia and across Europe as well, I think the average consumer is becoming more and more concerned about the data that's being collected about them and where it's actually going and being used. It's almost as though the party stopped a little bit because, you know, it's been the classic trade-off, you know, the internet's grand bargain where Eric Surfer, um recently wrote a piece on this to say, the internet's grand bargain is you exchange data for free services, right? You're the product. Okay. Now that's shifting. Like consumers are being more and more concerned about the value between my data being shared and also the experience and the services that I receive. And so I think that is also a, a trigger point here for third party cookie deprecation, because the last thing that Google wants is to be on the wrong side of history, <laughs> not just from the political change or from tech change, but also of how society is actually thinking about this technology as well. But let's talk quickly about the impact. I mean, we've talked about the history. We're talking about how we kind of ended up in this cookie chaos mess but like, what's the impact, Scott? How do you think this is impacting the industry today? Well, we were just chatting about uh, that article you were reading on MarTech.org uh, yeah, with the data that 75% uh, of marketers out there today are still relying heavily on third-party cookies, as they should. I mean, like, you know, these mechanisms are in place. Uh, you've got a lot of existing programs, a lot of existing things that, you know, we got benchmark performance against. And as long as it's working, uh, you know, for them, yeah, like why turn it off prematurely? But that's a dangerous thing uh, to play because, um, yeah, it's like, you know, uh, you can only go so far uh, until you realize, wait, we've actually run out of peer, you know, and the next step we take is going to be a plunge into the ocean. Um, and so I think I'd be curious about some of the stats about where the alternative adoptions are. But if I had to guess, I bet, unfortunately, they're probably still quite small. Yes, which is interesting because um, we'll cover this in episode two, but there's been a bit of a gold rush in a variety of different technologies that would replace the third-party cookies. But the majority of marketers in the industry willing or ready to actually adopt those new technologies is actually pretty still small, right? Like a lot of marketers still rely on third-party cookies for um, for their um, performance marketing needs. And so I think about it and I'm like, well, I think one of the things, and you know, as, as marketers do, they're looking for where the return on investment is, where the channel investment, you know, I think that we're seeing a less of a um, reliance on say Meta and Google's sort of duopoly of different ad tech solutions um, within their own platforms. Um, you know, we have countless, I think maybe at this point, hundreds 
are thousands of different types of agencies that are built around the premise of running um, efficient advertising across um, Google's properties and also Meta's properties as well. But that is becoming more of a challenge because with less third-party cookies, less um, data being collected, say, on mobile apps through the Apple's ecosystem, it means that marketers don't have the same level of return on ad spend that they used to or the same level of granularity for personalized advertising either. And so I think that breaking apart of the duopoly is quite interesting. But you've been actually tracking the ad tech industry as part of your broad sweeping MarTech landscape research. I mean, how have you seen the change in the ad tech industry over the years? So actually some of the recent work uh, friends uh, Ramirezma and I did with the MarTech landscape is we took that landscape of 10,000 <laughs> ad tech and MarTech products uh, and we, uh, we mapped against uh, some data from Clearbit on like, okay, well, when were all these different companies uh, launched? And also things about how highly rated they are, which ones do people like? And interesting data on both sides of that. So first of all, is if you look across these different uh, categories, you know, things that like we're doing with content experience and customer relationships and sales engagement, all of those, like you see the rise in like new startups over the past five, 10 years, um, just a tremendous amount of innovation in that space. And the younger the companies are, generally the more highly rated they are. People are like, yes, you're coming up with new and better ways for us to like engage with our customers. We love it. The ad tech space, just the opposite. That basically, you know, 10 years or plus, you know, uh, at this point in time, like once that duopoly like really started to take hold between like Google and Facebook, they're just, there started to be fewer and fewer players entering the space. You know, the existing players that were in the space were consolidating more, you know, and everybody talks about consolidation, like, hey, we, we want consolidation. We want to have fewer things we have to deal with. There's a benefit to consolidation, but there's also a cost that, you know, uh, consolidation, you know, as you start to eliminate competition and you start to eliminate, you know, that pressure, innovation generally does tend to slow down. Uh, and you could see that in like the ratings that we, you know, got associated with people using these solutions is, yep, hasn't been a lot of new startups and the old stuff that's been there people generally don't think is the, all that great. And it kind of looked like that was the trajectory that like, okay, well, that's that's that deck, thank you very much. Um, but yeah, we are now in these past couple years in particular, I think partly for the third party cookies, uh, partly because now we're seeing like the sort of, you know, emergence of many types of interesting new channels, you know, whether it's stuff with a CTV or uh, stuff with retail media or stuff with digital out of home, Actually, now a lot of innovation starting to happen, and so you see this tick up. And now that you and I were talking earlier, like this is this is a mixed bag for marketers. On one hand, like okay, shoot, ad tech is getting complicated again. Um, you know, so you're gonna have to like put some you know thinking caps on like how to navigate through that. But the other side of it. It is getting interesting again. Like there are opportunities here for companies to differentiate their strategies and the way in which they like, you know, uh, uh, leverage advertising strategies to match the rest of their go to market engine that before they just didn't have as many choices or as many competitive options. So it's going to be an interesting, uh, <laughs> interesting few years ahead. Yeah, and no, I definitely agree. I think that, you know, there's there's a lot of change and there's a lot of new options, which is awesome to see, a lot of competitive differentiation across different companies. But even from the MarTech Weekly research, we're seeing more than 100 companies are now actively working on cookie replacement technologies across a wide variety of different types of solutions. 
And so, uh, and that's not just US centric, that's across the world. And so um, I would actually would love to invite our, our listeners and our watchers to um, join us for next week as we talk about what are those solutions and what are the different streams of thought around what comes after the cookie. Um, so you can actually follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, we are talking about this topic all week and throughout the season as well. But uh, you can follow us on uh, forwards, LinkedIn forward slash SJ Brinker and also LinkedIn forward slash one hyphen Mendoza. Come and join the conversation. We'd love to get your thoughts and your comments on the cookie apocalypse and everything that's half happening after that. Um, and so thanks for joining us and we'd love to see you next time.